Thank you, Brother Mark, for sharing that this morning. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 7. We'll begin with verse number 24. This verse, this uh, scripture reminded me of uh, last week. I was getting ready to go somewhere, and uh, I needed a, uh, I needed to get, grab my wallet before I left. And so I, I went into the house where I, I keep my wallet, and I'm pretty sure I knew that's where the wallet was, and I looked, and I didn't see it. Then, of course, I started to go into panic because, uh, you know, I really needed to find the wallet. So I started tearing through the house and going down the list of places that I thought it should be. So I, I looked there in the office. I looked to see if it fell. I looked there in the room uh, and uh, couldn't find it. Looked on my nightstand, couldn't find it. Now I'm kind of, uh, kind of in a panic. So I start looking uh, places where it might not be. And I started digging through the dirty clothes, see if I left it in a pocket like, like there. And, and I'm just really kind of, uh, kind of in a... Uh, in, in a tizzy, trying to find my wallet, starting to get a little impatient. Then all of a sudden, a voice inside me, hey, why don't you go back to the place where you first looked, to the place where it was really supposed to be, and see if it was there? And, of course, the inner me says, that's stupid. Why would I do that? I've already looked there, and it wasn't there. So I go back, and uh, finally, in just a, uh, a desperation thing, I go to the table and I looked at right there where I thought it was going to be, where I looked at the very first part, it was standing right there looking at me. And what's the old saying? Yeah, if it was a snake, it would have bit me. And if all the things that were right in front of me that I lost were snakes, I wouldn't have made it past the third grade. Because I just have that tendency that uh, I'll look straight things, I'll look straight at it, but I just won't see it. And that reminds us of uh, the scripture that we'll read this morning about how the gospel was clearly claimed, that Jesus was clearly who he said he was, but so many people missed it. That so many people, even our world today, are looking for answers. And the answer is plainly right there in front of them, but still they can't see it. And so this morning as we read these verses, we ask yourself and ask in your heart, Have you missed what God has shown you in plain sight? So let's read together in the book of Luke chapter 7. Let's begin with verse number 24 where we read this. And John's messengers uh, had gone. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live live in luxury In the king's court, what then did you go out there to see? A prophet. Yes, a prophet. And I tell you, more than a prophet, this is the one of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messengers before your face, who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John, yet the one uh, who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To whom shall we compare uh, the people of this generation? And And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played a flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a jig, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking and um, eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he is he he has a demon. 
and the Son of Man who comes eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We just thank you for your word, Lord, and how it guides us in our life. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we read the scripture this morning, Lord, we open our hearts, Lord, and to think about all the things that we have learned. Lord, and I have all the things that we have taught and all the things that we've experienced learning here in church. And ask ourselves, Lord, have we responded? Have we responded to the word that you have spoken to us? Or are we continuing to delay in the stall? And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we, read these, as we go through these scriptures this morning for just a few minutes, Lord, our hearts are responsive. Lord, of what have you have plainly revealed to us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We read these verses, and um, last week we talked about, um, we talked about uh, the first uh, part of this encounter when John's disciples came to Jesus, and we talked about the, the, uh, the, uh, the doubts that John was facing in his life or whether or not it was, was Jesus and uh, whether or not this was Jesus, and wondering that, has he wasted his life? And before we talk about what we're going to uh, talk about in this scripture, it's very important for us to kind of notice how Jesus speaks about John and talked about his greatness and how he was a prophet and talked about how, you know, there was no greater man born of woman than of John. And I want us to remember, first of all, this morning is that God sees your labor and God sees your work. And not only does he see your labor, not only does he see your work, not only does he see the hardships and the things that you're doing for the kingdom of God, but he also rewards it. So I want you to think this morning, if you think that nobody's seeing what you're doing, if you think that uh, you know, you're not being noticed, if you don't think that you're getting the proper credit that you deserve, remember this morning that Jesus sees you and Jesus rewards you. And greater will be his reward for you than what will be received or what can be given by man. So carry on and don't lose heart. But as John's disciples are leaving, he wants to point their attention to what John's ministry was, he, was all about. And first of all, he established an agreement amongst the people about who John was and what he was doing. And so he asked the people that were gathered down there together, he said, what was it that you went out into the wilderness to see? What drove you to actually go out in the desert to see someone? He said, did you go out there to see a, 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 a reed or a weed shaking in the wind? He said, no. Because a weed shaking in the wind wasn't just uh, talking about just going out to just see some weed there in the desert but was talking sort of metaphorically because a weed shaking in the wind is something that is unstable, that is unreliable. And the person they went out there to John was not unstable, that he was not, un, that he was not movable, but rather he was stable. He was unmovable, and he was clear in what he preached. But then he goes on to say, well, if you didn't go out there to see uh, a weed shaking in the wind, did you go out there to see a, a man dressed in fine clothes? And they said, no, there wasn't anything impressive out there to see about John because he was dressed in skins, and he was a bit of a, of a strange man. So what was it that you went out there to see? Why was it that you went all the way out there into the desert to see this man, John? 
And then he goes, was it because he was a prophet? And he says, yes, that's why you went out there. And they all came to agreement that they all recognized that John was a prophet, that he was someone who was sent by God. And Jesus goes on to establish the level and the magnitude of John's ministry. He says that not only was he a great prophet, not only was he a prophet, but he was the greatest of the prophet. And no greater man has been born of woman than there was John. And why would Jesus say that? Because all the prophets who came before him spoke of, of the coming of Jesus, but it was all in the distance, and it was all in the future. And uh, like we learned in the Sunday school this morning about how uh, Jeremiah was speaking and prophesying about that coming branch, that coming great shepherd, and he was talking about something that was over 500 years away. But John was different. He was the one who was coming, and he was coming with a message that that he was the one that was going to point the way that says make clear the, uh, the paths and make them straight because the one who is promised, he's right behind me. He's on his way. And so while all the other's prophets preached at a distance of the coming of Jesus, his message was greater because he spoke of Jesus and he was the forerunner of Jesus and he actually got to see Jesus for himself. And as a prophet, he pointed people to the person of Jesus. He said his message was great. He wasn't just an ordinary prophet, but he was the greatest of all prophets. And he was a prophet who not only was just a run-of-the-mill prophet, but he was one who his own presence was prophesied that one day there was going to be someone who would come and, um, and say, make the way straight for the king is coming. And so he, as a prophet, was torn about. And this was the time. And this was the now. And so what Jesus is saying to everybody that was recognized, we all understand that John the Baptist was a prophet. We all understand that his message was true. And if you have any sort of inclination of what Scripture uh, is, you should understand and you should recognize who John was as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And since you recognize that he was the forerunner, and since he pointed to me, then you should recognize me. And so they all should be in agreement of the facts, of the matter. John's message was plain for everyone who had eyes to see. Who he was was plain for everybody to see. But not all of them responded to him. And after he tells about John, he talks about the decision. He talks about the decisions people made about John when he says to this, he says, uh, I tell you, among women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God is just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. 
But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Notice what he says. He makes an evaluation here. He says that, um, you know, John was the greatest uh, born from woman, but who is in the kingdom of God and the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Why is he saying that? Because even John, as he prophesies the coming of the Messiah, he was still a part of the old covenant. He was still a part of the old order. He was still there on the other side of Jesus. But everyone who comes into the kingdom of God, even the least of them, even the ones who may be on the doorsteps, even the ones who are not of great position, they are greater in the kingdom of God. They are more blessed because they have actually received Jesus. But then we see the response. First, he tells about some who responded to him. And he made a point to say that the tax collectors were a part of this. In other words, the outsiders recognized this. The people who were looking for something recognized this. The people who understand that they needed salvation, the people who understand that they were broken, cried out when they heard about the kingdom of God, said, blessed be to him, and God is just, and they welcomed the message and they received it. They received it in receiving John's baptism. And after receiving John's baptism, they received the message of Christ in their life. Even the tax collectors, even the outsiders, even the prostitutes, even the drunkards, they received the news of Jesus Christ and the clear message with great joy and great excitement. But then... The Pharisees and the lawyers, the ones most expert in the law, the ones who among all people should have recognized John for who he was, they rejected his message. And then those who are the most likely to recognize Jesus for who he was because he's talked about in the scriptures that they knew so well, Rejected him. You can't read this without thinking about us. You can't read this without thinking about the people in the church. The ones of us who know so much about Scripture, those of us who know so clearly who Jesus is, and I've sat Sunday after Sunday and heard message after message and answered every Sunday school question, should recognize and respond to Jesus, but they don't. And listen to what he says. They reject the purpose of God for themselves. Isn't that something that these Pharisees and these lawyers have spent their whole life, probably some of them since they were little bitty boys, being trained in the Scriptures, and training other people in the scriptures as well, helping them in their walk with God. But in rejecting the purpose of God for themselves, they miss it. And isn't it sad to think that there are so many people that'll stand up in this pulpit and preach sermons. There are so many people who teach Sunday school there are so many people that sing songs. 
There are so many people who have worked with preschoolers and Bible school who have taught people verses, but yet will miss it for themselves. And you could say, how could that be? How could they miss something that is so plainly before their eyes? How can they miss something that is so clear? Well, Jesus wants to speak to that and give us a little bit of explanation. Listen to what he says. He says in verse number 31, he says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling one another. We weeped. I mean, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance, and we sang a jig, and you did not weep. He said, let me explain. Let me explain this generation to you. Let me tell you what they're like. And he wasn't talking about the totality of the generation, but he was really homing this into the generation of religious people. You want me to tell you what these Pharisees are like? You want me to tell you what these Sadducees are like? You want me to tell you what these teachers of the law are like? You want me to tell you what these self-righteous people are like? You want me to tell you why so many people know the Scriptures, so many people come to church, but yet don't have Jesus in your... You want me to tell you... You want me to tell you what the problem is? Let me tell you what they're like. He said they're like children playing in the marketplace. I want you to think about, uh, and they're playing games. And they said they're one of the games that you would play uh, the flute, and another that they would play the jig. And I want you to think about children playing in the marketplace. Think about the games that you played when you were growing up. What did y'all play? We all played, we played uh, Cowboys and Indians, Cops and Robbers, Kill the Man with the Football, Kill the Man with the Baseball. I mean, we, we had all kind of games that we'd play together uh, when we were together with the kids. But he gives this parable, and he says, I want you to imagine kids playing. And they're playing the flute. And the flute would be an instrument that you would play for a wedding. And then I said, hey, I want you to imagine these kids are playing a jig. And a jig would be a song that you would play at a funeral. And so I want you to imagine these kids are playing wedding and they're playing funeral. Strange kids. I can already tell you what's wrong with this generation. But uh, he says, I want you to imagine them. They are playing the song for happiness. They are playing the song for joy. They are playing the flute for celebration, and nobody does anything. And then we play the song of, uh, of the funeral. We play a jig. Maybe they don't like a happy song. Maybe they want a sad song. You know, maybe they're more country music people. They want something sad, but yet they don't respond. And he says, I want you to tell you two things about this generation. And I want you to know to see if this would explain the generation of religious people today. First of all, they are unresponsive. And secondly of all, you just can't please them. First of all, he wants to point out how they're absolutely unresponsive. That there would be a message coming from, um, from Jesus 
And Jesus was a celebration song. He was like the wedding. It was the time of rejoice. It was the time of receiving salvation. It was a time of receiving forgiveness. It was the time of a new life. And the song should be happy. But yet, they were not happy. Instead, they were just over in their pews and they were just doing, doing this. Brother, you've been up there singing sometimes and you just look out there and you're singing a great song. You're putting all your heart into it. Man, you're talking about victory and Jesus, and they just doing this. You know, I'd almost be rather them just throw stones at me and run me out. You know, just, just sit like this. You know, if you don't like it, don't like it, you know. He said, they came and they played a happy song and they just weren't be happy. They didn't want to be happy. Well, then John came. John came, came and buddy, he was hellfire and brimstone. He was talking about, man, get your heart right. He was about changing your ways. He was about repentance. And he was talking about sin, buddy. And he was hellfire and brimstone. And he'd be up there preaching about the kingdom of God's coming and how you got to get ready, buddy. And he was a thumping and screaming and a stomping. And there's the people back there. Unresponsive. Unresponsive. They didn't hate it, and they didn't love it. They were just completely unresponsive. And if you look at the church today, if you look at religious people today, as we go and we speak and we go and we teach and we know the things to do, we know the things that we ought to be acting, we know how we should be living our lives and we know that we have sin and we know that we need a better way for our life and we know that we need change, but yet we just stand there unresponsively to what is a clear message. That is being presented to us. And we justify our unresponsiveness by all of a sudden being unable to be pleased. He says, look, John the Baptist came and uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't drink and uh, he stayed away from the bread. And, uh, you know, they, he, he lived a good uh, good moral life, and he lived just, uh, just like a Jew, buddy. He was like the old school prophets, and you said he had a demon. That was your excuse. That was your reasoning to put him off. And then I came, and uh, I came, and I associated with people. I, I was amongst the people. I'd hang out with the drunkards. I'd hang out with the prostitutes. I'd hang out with the tax collectors. Buddy, you said I was nothing but a drunkard and a prostitute. That, I, I, that was your excuse. So I was unresponsive, and then I started making excuses. You know, we Christians, buddy, we can come up with some excuses, can't we? We can come up with excuses. I always love that old gospel song about excuses, talking about going to church. You know, when it comes to keep people knowing the Lord, the devil always loses. When it comes to keep them folks coming to church, he offers them excuses. See, I didn't think I knew Southern gospel, did you in the summer, it's too hot, just like it was in here last week. In the summer, it's too cold. In the springtime, when the weather's just right, what do we do? Anybody know the song? Find somewhere else to go. The preacher's sermon is there too long. The preacher's sermon's there too short. One lady said last week, he didn't even shake my hand.
We know the clear message, but yet we don't want to respond. And since we don't want to respond, we start making excuses. And Jesus said in closing this, he said that wisdom is known by its children. It's another way of saying that a tree is known by its fruit. How can you really tell the difference between people who are responding and to people who aren't? You can tell it by the way they live their lives. So he wants us to compare the way of the Pharisee from the way of Jesus. The people who responded to the message of Jesus had their lives changed. The people who responded to Jesus became more humble. The people who responded to Jesus went out and told other people. The people who responded to Jesus had praise for the Father and praise for the Son and praise for the Holy Spirit. The people who responded to Jesus offered authentic, passionate prayers. But the people who followed the way of the Pharisees became self-righteous, uptight, judgmental, hypocritical. Man, who would want to be a part of that? And too many times we choose the way of the Pharisee, and we become like children of the Pharisee, and we wonder why nobody wants to be a part of us. But when you respond to Jesus, when you respond to the message that's clearly set before you, would you actually respond in your heart and your life to those things that you know to be true, those things that you confess when you sing your songs, those things that you know from your reading in your scripture? What is plain to you, it'll change your life. So I'd assume all of us in this room know who Jesus is. All these people in this room, you know of your sinfulness. All these people in this room, you probably know what the Lord wants for you in your life. All of you in this room knows what areas in your life that you need to change. But not all of us are being responsive. Instead, we're just folding our hands and making excuses. But I pray this morning we change. I pray this morning we will respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Lord, I just thank you for showing yourself to us through the revelations, Lord, that we've shown through the prophets and all that we see through Scripture. Lord, I thank you for showing yourself through the witness of the Holy Spirit as you minister us personally. Lord, I thank you for the witness, Lord, that has come through the preachers and through the Sunday school teachers and through the Bible schools that have taught us so much about your love and what you desire for us. But Lord, this morning, I pray that we'll be responsive, that we'll listen to you and we'll make that step to follow you. Let's stop making excuses, and let's respond to the Lord.
this morning as we stand and sing a hymn of invitation. 134.